Welcome to Plastics Unwrapped. In this podcast series, you'll hear the experts investigating the innovations as well as the challenges the plastics industry faces. It is hosted by Judy Hicks and brought to you by Dow. In today's episode, we're going to talk about emotion versus science and how that plays out in the debate around plastics. It's something that many of us in the plastics industry face on a daily basis, especially when we're confronted with images of plastic in our environment, where it does not belong. But we also know that plastics has an important role to play in our society. Is the industry doing enough to combat the negative issues around plastic waste? How do we balance the emotional response we feel when seeing plastics waste with the science of choosing the right material? I'm pleased to have three guests with me today to have that discussion. Marco Tenbrückenkat and Carsten Larsen from Dow's Plastics Business, as well as Jim McClelland, editor of Sustme magazine, The Word on Environment, Economics and Social Equity. Hello and welcome and thank you for joining me. Hello, Judy. Hello, nice to be here. Hello, nice to meet you. So let's dive straight in. Marco, like all of us, um, you've seen countless images of plastic in the environment. Um, It's killing marine life. It's ending up on the beaches and rivers where it clearly does not belong. When you see these pictures, it's easy to understand the calls for plastic to actually be banned, isn't it? Yeah, when you see these pictures, um, it's it's very difficult to not be appalled. Uh, seeing animals suffering to entanglement uh, or indigestion of plastics, I mean, that appalls all of us. That's very clear. Um, my kids come home, they challenge me. Um, so it, it's understandable uh, that these calls for bans take place. And the single-use plastics ban was one of the quickest pieces of legislation which passed through Brussels. But I think what's important is that we should not forget that we have a duty to also check the science behind this. Look at life cycle analysis, look at also the economic impact analysis to make decisions which are informed. And ultimately, I, I think it's, it's really uh, important that we avoid the unintended consequences of all of this. Carsten, your thoughts on this? Um, working for a plastics company must be pretty uncomfortable right now. You know, Judy, as as everyone else, I don't like to see plastic in the environment. It simply does not belong there. The plastic and the packaging industry is, of course, subject to a lot of attention at the moment. So I guess that some would say that it's quite uncomfortable. But personally, I see this as as a great challenge, an opportunity, as our company, Dow, wants to be part of the solution and focus on moving to a circular economy. That means producing product, using product, disposing product, but also recycle products and bringing plastic waste back as a raw material. In that way, we can retain the value of plastics. Now, obviously, we must all play a role here. And it's fair to say that infrastructure to collect and recycle plastic must, of course, reflect the rise of the consumerism. Plastic, we believe, should only be used if it offers the lowest environmental impact. So again, it's exciting times and it's great to have the opportunity to work on making plastics more sustainable. And Judy, maybe to chime in there, um, if the industry wouldn't want to change, I would completely agree with you, or the company we work for wouldn't want to change. But what I see is an industry, and also our own company, very committed to change, wanting to be part of the circular economy, changing away from the linear model, which we've all seen, where we see the unintended consequences. In that sense, I'm actually excited to be part of that journey and to make that impact. 
And I want to come back to that piece in a minute, actually. But but first of all, I want to bring in Jim, um, a, a voice from outside the industry. Uh, Jim, the future of plastics could look pretty dire right now. So what are your, your thoughts on this? Uh, as you say, if you are looking for evidence of plastic pollution, it's not hard to find. Either in the digital or the physical world, not only are the images all over the internet and social media, let's be honest, at times the trash is all over the street, the park and the beach. The Blue Planet effect has undoubtedly galvanised public opinion and activism, and rightly so. It's no mass hysteria though, it's part of a widespread awakening, it's global, it's serious and it's here to stay. However, it is also in danger of demonising plastic, all plastic, indiscriminately. So the big challenge, as I see it for the industry, is to find a way to help consumers and campaigners distinguish the wrong kinds of plastic and the wrong uses from those that are acceptable, even vital at present and especially in the future. I should add, the industry is not on its own in this. Brand owners, retailers have a part to play, plus government and regulators can help incentivise and police. But industry is at the sharp end and needs to change the narrative. There is a future for plastic, just not all plastic. This is a transition story. Thank you. So, Carsten, one of the things you actually um, mentioned is that plastic should only be used if it offers the lowest environmental impact I think people will be surprised to hear you say that. Well, Judy, it's the right thing to do. We, as an industry, we have to hold ourselves accountable and ask ourselves whether plastic is indeed the right solution. But actually, it shouldn't be too surprising, given what we talked about before, utilising science and not emotion to validate the life cycle assessment and the socio-economic impact. So plastic has grown a lot because it's a popular material and it has great environmental benefits. It increases the shelf life of our food. It makes our cars lighter so that we use less gasoline. It insulates our homes so we use less energy. And it also protects goods on the transport, not to mention the benefits that it has in the medical and health industry. But we do have a plastic waste issue and we need, and we are actually addressing this. Because again, if we want to continue to enjoy the benefits of plastic, we need to address the plastic waste problem. Therefore, we uh, here at Dow, we work very hard with our partners to make plastic recyclable, either through the design to making it 100% recyclable or via recycling in itself that can be either mechanical or what we call feedstock recycling. So I want to give an example here, Judy, that we recently communicated a new sustainability goal that also says that we will only sell plastic into packaging applications if it's reusable or recyclable. So again, here you see that we fully support recycling and we fully support making plastic part of the circular economy. So, um, Marco, just going back to something that Jim said, um, he said that all plastic is now in danger of being demonised. And what we are seeing, and you alluded to it as well, is that consumers and regulators are calling for bans on single-use plastics. But is this the right thing to do? There would be, as you said, many unintended consequences of switching from plastic to glass, for example. How do we actually assess our options clearly, logically, scientifically? Yeah, I think you need to see that in the context of what we just talked about. Plastic waste needs to get out of the environment. Um, That is very clear. And in that sense, uh, the single-use plastic ban, which links to the 10 most littered items on the beaches, is the right thing to do. We cannot deny that. 
But what we need to look at is that this is a very clear wake-up call for the industry to start taking action. And what we need to make sure is that going forward, there is this commitment, not just from the actual producers of plastic, but the whole value chain and all stakeholders involved to be able to make this a reality that we start actually collecting, sorting and reusing that plastic waste back and circulating it as a circular economy. I think the, 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 the key thing here is that we haven't treated plastic waste as a raw material. And we need to start looking at plastic waste much more from the concept of value. And in order to make that a reality, we also need to make sure that what Carsten said earlier, it needs to be recyclable, but it needs to be recycled as well. That means that we need to work with the industry, with the recyclers, that they have the right infrastructure in place to make that a reality as well. And only at that point, we will generate more waste streams, which will be used as raw material and feed to enable that circular economy. Without that, it won't work. So that's absolutely necessary to make this a reality. I see the movement, I see the, the strong commitment, but we need to maintain that uh, momentum. And just going back to um, something you both mentioned, life cycle um, assessment and going back to the science of why we actually use plastics. What's the benefits, um, Carsten? Um, wh why would you use a life cycle assessment and what is it exactly, just, just for the benefit of our listeners here? Yeah, it might be good to clarify what we call an LCA, so a life cycle assessment uh, is. Um, and it is a tool that is widely used to measure the environmental impact of a product or a service or material. Uh, some call it the cradle to the grave. Uh, so it basically looks at the beginning of a product, uh, in case of plastic, the raw materials that it takes to produce plastic, and then it takes it on to the end of the life. And it's very useful because it does enable us to compare the environmental footprint of different products or materials or services. And because you use a common unit to compare the different packaging materials of different products or services, it then allows you to better choose the right type of material. And again, acknowledging the plastic waste issue and also the global trend towards circularity. So when you use the LCA tool, we actually can better demonstrate the benefits of circular plastic. And it is indeed one of the best options in a so-called low carbon or zero waste circular world. So again, an example that many people might not be aware of is, um, and that comes from this life cycle assessment, that really tells us that, you know, it's much better buying our pasta sauce in a plastic pouch, which by the way, we know how to make 100% recyclable versus a recycled glass jar because the climate impact is nine times higher for the glass, even considering that the glass is 100% recycled. Now, that's not finger pointing to the glass, but another example of how we use this internally is we look at feedstock recycling that has a higher carbon footprint than mechanical recycling, but again, a lower footprint than incineration. So that's what's happening today, that a lot of the plastic waste goes to incineration and is used for energy. But if you use it for a, as a raw material for feedstock recycling, it has a lower carbon footprint. And again, you know, I, I just want to emphasize that the LCA tool, it doesn't, it doesn't hide that we believe that all plastic must be collected and recycled, uh, like Marco said before. And we need to look at solving the end of life uh, situation for plastic. The good news, I think, is that in Europe, we are definitely moving in this direction. Jim, what are your thoughts on uh, life cycle assessment? Do you see benefits, drawbacks? Well, 
LCAs, they can unlock decision-making, build the business case, and they help answer that crunch question, which is the most sustainable? You know, they take the emotion out of the debate, focus on the science and the tangible benefits, the true cost. And in doing so, they help measure value more in terms of the triple bottom line of people, planet and profit. So I suppose what's not to like, you might ask? Well, the complexities and subtleties of LCAs are what make them useful in a business context, but they are also what make them problematic for mass communication, to my mind. Mm -hmm. They can be hard to explain in simple, accessible language. Long technical tales, frankly, are a turn-off for customers and consumers. So, you know, the old business adage is that to manage something, first you have to measure it. And LCAs help you do exactly that. However, with sustainability, I would add that as well as measure it and manage it, you have to message it too. You must communicate the benefits. You need to sell the sustainability story. It's not always enough just to be green. You have to be seen to be green. And that's the million dollar question. So how would you better have that logical conversation with with consumers? Well, I think um, part of the challenge here is um, one of language. I think we've seen, interestingly, um, the issues around the climate emergency being described as a climate crisis and the emotion in the language that's being used by the public and in the media and by consumers. And sometimes there's a disconnect with the more technical, jargon, drier, scientific language that's being used by industry and business and regulators. So I think one of the issues in terms of having that conversation is literally to be talking the same language. And Jim, I think you're absolutely spot on here. I think it's really, really difficult to communicate that to both customers and partners uh, in, a, in a simple way. And also considering the fact that then um, you see plastic waste in, in the environment and that contradiction of saying plastic is actually a beneficial material and there's a lot of plastic in the environment, that is very contradictory and not very logical for many, many people. So I think we as an industry, we, we must do a better job in communicating that and we must start addressing the plastic waste issue because that is key to making plastic an even more sustainable material. So going back to you, Marco, we're talking now a lot about um, addressing the plastic waste um, issue and you've touched upon the circular economy. What is Dow doing in this space, if, if you want to just run us through that once again? Yeah, Dow is uh, very much involved and committed towards making the circular economy a reality in, in many respects. Um, and that means that we start with the actual collection and the design of the packaging. And when we look at the actual design of packaging materials, uh, like said before, they're extremely complex at the moment. And we need to take that complexity out of the packaging material to make it uh, a much easier material ultimately to be recycled. Because it's not just about recyclable, it needs to be recycled as well. And that goes back again to making it a valuable product for the recyclers to be able to do that. So that's one element of it. The other element which is incredibly important is that 
at the point that you get these waste streams, or I would turn it around and call them again raw material streams, what are the end applications where you could actually apply this material? And there it comes down to two choices you have. Um, first of all, uh, what's happening a lot is the actual downcycling, I would call it, where these materials through mechanical recycling are used in lower value applications. Uh, what's far more interesting uh, in a circular economy is to actually upcycle and use them back in either the same or other more valuable applications. And that's where chemical recycling or feedstock recycling comes into play. You can then enable it to be used into uh, food applications for food packaging. We believe that that would be vital to make the circular economy a reality. And in order to actually do that, Dow is committed to a roadmap to ultimately lay out very clearly a path forward to enable us to make that a reality. Uh, the first um, tons of, of circular polyethylene true chemical recycling are available, will come a reality more in 2021 and so forth. I think that path we need to continue on to enable this, this journey. And, and you mentioned there also that about collection and sorting. And I think this is one of the things that most people at home would see as, as a, a real frustrating issue for them. But what role does Dow have to play in collecting and sorting? I mean, clearly they're not picking up the waste from the, the curbside. Correct. And I think it, it differs. We're not a, a waste handling company or waste management company, as you correctly say. However, at the same token, we are part of the ecosystem. And if that's not taken care of and there is no good infrastructure in place to pick up that waste, then we feel the consequences as an industry. So we need to ensure that we work with all the stakeholders to set that up. Now, in Western Europe, that is less of a problem in terms of collection. It's more of a problem in actually making sure that it is recycled and the packaging is ready to be recycled. In other parts of the world, not too far from us in Africa, uh, you have a total different issue. There it comes down to actually picking it up. The actual collection happens in an informal way and it's literally dumped on illegal dump sites. There we play a role in actually setting up a whole ecosystem to enable a circular business model or, or ecosystem whereby ultimately the different streams are not just dumped into the environment, but actually taken care of, added value to, and we're creating jobs for the uh, local people as well. Um, Carsten, you, you've both talked about mechanical and feedstock or chemical recycling. Just for the benefit of our listeners, do you want to give us a, a kind of a, an overview of what the differences are? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very happy to do that, uh, Judith. So again, mechanical recycling, when we refer to that term, is, is when we produce a package, we use it, and then we dispose of it, like you alluded to at home. After it's then uh, disposed, it's collected, and it's sorted into the right type of plastic materials. Then it's washed, and it's chopped into small pieces. And then those small pieces are used as a raw material for other products. That's what we refer to as mechanical recycling. You can imagine a situation when you have a package at home, and it's, it's very dirty, and it actually doesn't make sense to use a lot of water and washing it, and and you can't get the oil or the grease or maybe even the medical waste off. So what you do in feedstock recycling is that when it's collected, then you actually can turn it into a liquid product that we 
again, after some modification, can use as a raw material for our plastic production instead of crude oil. That means that you take your plastic material back as a raw material in both cases, but in one case it's used as a, uh, let's say, physical product, uh, small flakes, and in the other case it's turned back into an, an oil. So going back to Jim, um, how are you seeing progress here in this space? And for you, how does industry and government come together to address the issue of plastic waste? Um, Well, in terms of the progress we're seeing, the short answer would be there's not enough. Um, Ultimately, there needs to be a shared strategic vision that will deliver systemic change, one that makes sense for all stakeholders, plus the implementation plan to go with it. Frankly, we're quite a long way away from that. As with climate change, all players ideally need to agree science-based targets and global goals and then keep their promises to deliver against those ambitions in full and on time if they're to be taken seriously. And currently, we're achieving, I wouldn't say almost none of the above, but we could be doing an awful lot better. Now, of course, policy around waste and recycling is important, whether it is a tax on single-use carrier bags or introduction of a bottle return scheme. But... I feel industry cannot wait for government to lead. It must light the way by being transparent and accountable in a bid to build and repair trust over time. This means being more proactive in setting the agenda, not least with the public. Plastic has an image problem, period. So unless you address the issues and open dialogue, you cannot expect perceptions to change. Uh, And maybe, Jim, I can add to that. I I completely agree with you. I think this is actually something where the industry, quite frankly, has been ignoring the issue for far too long. Um, And and that's got us where we are uh, at the moment. Uh, With the brand owners uh, stepping up with very clear commitments towards the sustainability uh, targets, um, the industry has no other choice to then step up to this opportunity. And that's really the key word here. We should start to see this from an issue to an opportunity. And when we start to see it like that, then the actual commitment will turn into actually real dollars to drive innovation behind uh, many of the aspects we need to see to make this a reality. Because without that, it will remain fake promises uh, and we will not see that big change we're all asking for. Jim, um, just to continue that, how are you actually working with businesses to ensure that materials generally are more sustainable? Well, fundamentally, I think we need a mindset shift here. Um, We need to move away from the idea of merely doing less harm and transition into doing greater good. We need to aspire towards restorative and regenerative processes. And this means mapping the material flows, tracing and tracking, such that we can really redefine the value proposition and manage assets more intelligently. I would even say it sounds a bit fanciful, but we need to stop viewing materials as things in isolation, start seeing them as interconnected flows, as conduits, as value channels, not just stuff. Marco, um, any thoughts on that? Do you think the industry's moving fast enough and um, doing enough? And what are we doing around innovations here? Yeah, I think the ultimately we need to make sure that, as Jim earlier said, plastic waste is systemic and we need to turn off the tap. We need to stop that. 
immediately. Is industry doing enough? Um, I certainly see that there is uh, momentum. There's real progress being made. Uh, announcements all over the place. The key point here is to keep that momentum. Maintain it. Make sure that any and each of the industry players continues to actually deliver upon their own promises. But we cannot do this alone as the pellet producers uh, in the value chain. We need to work all together. As said before, we need the people from a collection point of view. We need the recyclers to be able to make sure that they've got the right equipment on the ground. We need to make sure that ultimately, once that is recycled, that we are able to actually use that back in chemical recycling and enable that into recycled content for food packaging. And we need to develop with any and each of us also the right set of uh, applications. And most importantly, many of you may think I'm a consumer. I have nothing to do with this. Well, any of you play your role. If you go for a picnic or a day out, make sure you don't litter either uh, and do your own part, how small and how simple it may be, but make sure you recycle as well. Um, Jim, um, any innovations that you're seeing that you would like to see more of from the industry? Well, I'd have to say we cannot simply hope to recycle our way out of this. We have to reframe waste as resource, which means identifying and understanding those material flows. And this is where we need circular economy thinking and doing, as has been said. However, the Circularity Gap report released every year at Davos has revealed the world to be only 8.6% circular in 2020, actually worse than previous years. This is simultaneously a shocking indictment of our failed efforts to date, but also a spectacular signpost for the opportunity ahead. I'm not being glib talking up the potential. It is massive. But unless we can engage the entrepreneurial engines of industry, duly incentivized as well as policed by government, change is ultimately going to remain slow and small. And we need innovation at every level, Judy, from the chemistry up, bioplastics right through to the curbside collection, compostables, reprocessing infrastructure. If the solution is not systemic, ultimately it's not sustainable because at present, as we've heard with plastic waste, the system is the problem. So the challenge for plastics and companies like Dow can perhaps, I think, be summed up in just three words, really. Innovate, collaborate, communicate. Thank you, Jim. Carsten, closing thoughts. It's an opportunity. What are your thoughts there? I think Jim described it very well. I think it's a complex issue and there's no silver bullet in this. Um, and in fact, you know, if I look inside our company, we, we're focusing on a portfolio of solutions. So again, as, as Marco mentioned, we have developed a circularity strategy. We do focus on four distinct areas. Um, one of them is what we call design for recyclability, where we help our customers make all packages 100% recyclable from plastics. We also work on mechanical recycling. So we take back plastic and we use that plastic as a raw material. An example of this is a recently um, new product that we brought onto the market called Agility CE. It helps protect uh, bottles when they're transported as a collation, so-called collation shrink film, but that's the overlay film of bottles. Marco alluded to um, our efforts in, in what we call feedstock recycling, also known as chemical recycling. And again, here to Jim's point, partnerships are really key. Innovation, really key. 
We did announce one partnership with a Dutch company called Phoenix, and we're moving forward in that journey to bring on what we call the circular plastics or circular polymer. So basically, again, using plastic waste as a raw material to make new plastic. And we're also looking into what we call alternative feedstocks. Uh, an example of this is we found a byproduct in the paper industry called tal oil. From that tal oil through a refinery, we can actually use the oil and we can make bioplastics or renewable plastics from that. And that has a 57% lower carbon footprint than, than others. And Judith, I would offer the thought that sustainability is, is not new to the plastic industry. Um, we've been focusing on sustainability for a long time. But one could argue that we've been focusing on sustainability maybe at the wrong level. We have looked at how can you optimize your packaging design? How can you use less plastic material? As a result of this, we have complex packaging structures that are in some cases difficult to recycle. And we have not spent a lot of time, like Marco said, we've not focused on the end of life. And that waste plastic problem, we need to address it. Because unless we address that problem, then no one would believe that plastic is the most sustainable product. And again, the industry the way I see it, is very committed. And I, I do see us all moving in the right direction. We all want to move faster, for sure. But again, collaboration, innovation, partnerships are, are very key here. Um, they are forming fast in industry right now. And, and I think uh, both Jim and Marco said that we, we do all have a role uh, to play here. A final thought would be we need to address the waste plastic issue for all of us to be able to enjoy the benefits of plastic without having the environmental issues. That would be the, the dream and that would be the goal. And that is why I personally am very happy to go to work every day. Thank you, Carsten. Um, and to you, Marco, last thoughts on opportunity. As Jim said, there's a massive opportunity here. Absolutely. We talk um, in this podcast about emotion versus science. When you take it in that light and that context, no more talk, more action. We're actually talking today. <laughs> um, but the industry really needs to start moving. And, and as we said, there are very clear examples. It's happening, uh, but more of that is needed and that momentum needs to be maintained. The Green Deal, which is a lot talked about, is providing a clear framework for all of us, not just the uh, raw material producers, but the whole ecosystem to create that opportunity. Because ultimately, uh, the one word I would leave here with is, is the opportunity. We need to start treating this as a real opportunity and create that mindset that going forward, we will create different industries, greener industries, more circular. And as Jim earlier said, if 8% is only a circular economy today, think about the absolute potential. That excites me. So I'm truly excited about the actual opportunity to pivot not just this company where I work for, but the whole industry to move towards a direction which ultimately will uh, make us a much more sustainable place in, in all respects of the word. Marco, Carsten, Jim, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As we've just learned, it's clear that plastics has an important role to play in our society. But we have to look long and hard at where and how we use plastics, as well as how we can improve recycling. At the same time, we must consider the unintended consequences of ditching plastic for a material that will result in higher carbon emissions. Communicating these complex issues is going to continue to be a challenge, but it's also a clear opportunity for the plastics industry. 
Thanks for listening to Plastics Unwrapped, creating a circular economy for plastics. The series is hosted by Judy Hicks and presented by Dow. Stay in touch and feel free to share.